Hello, I'm Katie Jarvis, and this week, Real Foot Forward is made possible by our friends at William Sausage, the home of authentic country goodness and family-owned and operated since 1958, right here in Tennessee. Welcome to Real Foot Forward from Discovery Park of America, located up here in the corner of beautiful West Tennessee. Every day at our museum and heritage park, we inspire children and adults to see beyond. And each week, we do the same thing here on our podcast. In today's episode, Scott sits down with Kelly Powers from Final Flight Outfitters. They discuss Kelly's early success in the professional goose calling world, how he and his brothers built a huge business from the ground up, and his humanitarian efforts. Stick around afterwards and listen to what Andrew Gibson discovers as we go behind the scenes at Discovery Park of America. Hello, I'm Scott Williams, host of Real Foot Forward, where each week we celebrate our little section of the South as we explore the culture, the spirit, the accomplishments, and the heritage of our home here in West Tennessee. This week, we have a world champion as our guest. At the tender age of 21, Kelly Powers had already won the World Goose Calling Championship and the World Goose Champion of Champions. And then he retired from that event and went on to win the international contest, followed by the Masters, not the golf, but the Goose Calling, the World Open, and later the World Wide. This is a feat that has never been achieved by any other individual alive. Now, instead of calling geese, Kelly is calling customers to visit Final Flight Outfitters, Inc. in Union City, Tennessee, a business that Kelly and his two brothers, John, Ed, and Tripp, built from the ground up. Kelly is not just a successful goose caller and entrepreneur. His accomplishments include an award started in his name, the Kelly Powers Humanitarian Award, that is given yearly by the Live for a Cure Foundation to individuals that display outstanding outdoor humanitarian efforts. Kelly was also recognized by the governor of Tennessee, the state senate, and the state house of representatives honoring him for his accomplishments and work with Tennessee's youth. Welcome, Kelly. Great, man. What, that's a long intro. <laughs> what a what a, you have accomplished a lot in your young years here on Earth. Um, starting, we're going to definitely talk about the goose calling and all that in just a minute. But first of all, give me a little overview of what Final Flight Outfitters. Of course, I've been there many times. I really love it. Um, but tell folks listening what they would find at Final Flight Outfitters. We, we started Final Flight basically off our our passion of the outdoors and passion of hunting. We, me, John, and Trip grew up in a farm family, so agricultural and, and hunting kind of goes hand in hand. You know, we're, we're in the fields in the summertime and in the fall and winter, you're not necessarily as much in the fields, but you can go hunting. And so we took that passion and we had some friends in the outdoor industry that we started selling their products and representing them at outdoor shows. So in the summer months that, you know, inventory kind of got, uh, uh, placed in, in in storage and warehouse and all that, and then we would bring it out during the season or during hunting season. So that's how Final Flight started. It literally, from a ground roots standpoint, it started out of a storage trailer where we had all of the equipment and the, the inventory, and then we started with seasonal hours at our physical storefront, um, and we had a little mail-order catalog, and we just took baby steps from there. And we're so 
fortunate to be in Northwest Tennessee. It's a great community, giving community. I mean, we take a lot of pride of the the small town business uh, of knowing our customers really well, knowing what products they like, uh, and that interaction. You know, uh, the the day the days of of catalogs and and mail order and internet shopping uh, is is a tough tackle. And we have a we have a, a vast website presence, and we're there as well. But you miss out on a shopping experience and interaction one on one with a uh, with a customer, you know, that you don't get, you know, online. So we try to just stock our shelves with a lot of products for the for the hunter and outdoorsman and let them make a good decision. So yes, they can buy it online, but they can go to Final Flight and spend two or three hours and compare that product with other products in its same area. And we would think, you know, hopefully they'd make a good decision and, and be happy with what they have. Yeah, I loved your on your website. Um, there's a state your statement, sort of, I guess, part of your mission statement. But you know, it's basically um, uh, final flight outfitters will always be advocates of personal relationships with their customers. That's correct. You know, I think that 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 contributes a great deal to your success as as an organization. We, with our staff, we we use kind of the term: see it, feel it, touch it, experience it. And you can't really get that shopping online. Um, and like I said, we have an online presence, but when you can go in there, you can see the product, you can feel the product, you can touch it, see what it's made of, and then you can experience the engagement with, with a person behind the counter and maybe both of y'all, and you can learn more about the product and get educated on different things. Uh, you just don't experience that online. And I, what we see is a lot of people will drive three, four, five hours away. They go to Final Flight, they come to Discovery Park, and it's two great partners, you know, that it's a win-win for all of us. That's what I was just getting ready to ask you. Is how Do you know... Approximately how many people do y'all serve a year in person? We, you know, I, I I need to track that a little better more often, you know, and and have that number. But we have a lot of people that drive, you know, five six hours away just to come to to these two locations and to our community and and as well as to to other uh, merchants in town, uh, just because they can hit a lot in a day's time and it's a good little getaway. And and like I said, they can go online and buy those items. But I, I love shopping online myself, but I miss out on if I know there's a place within an hour or two that I can go and see a vast amount of inventory and spend some time shopping, it kind of scratches an itch for me that I enjoy I enjoy shopping. Right. Well, along with the pendulum swinging to online shopping, it's also swung to shoppertainment, you That's know, right. where people love to go in and spend hours being entertained by the shopping experience. And, you know, I don't duck hunt. I haven't yeah. yet. I'm waiting for you to take me. But <laughs> um, we, we can handle that. Um, even though you still, it's packed with stuff that was uh, fascinating just to look through and... You know, I love the decoys and the calls, and and it's 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 like an experience just going there. And, and I, I mean, me being one of the owners, I mean, I catch myself. I mean, literally, it's it's almost a couple times a week that I just go shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, I may go in the flashlight department, doesn't matter, and look and think, well, that's a neat little hat, you know, light that clips on your hat, or this and that, and just and and the next thing I know, you know, I'm I'm engaged and I'm and I'm having fun and I'm enjoying that. And if I get home at night, if I'm online, you just don't those shopping experiences. It just doesn't. So, so to me personally, there's a fulfillment out of see it, feel it, touch it, experience it. Well, there's also a camaraderie there that I see when I've been there and seen people shopping and right. interacting with the sales staff, and you know, it's it's a lot of fun. What were the items that you guys very first? Or what were the first items in that trailer? That uh, you were you know, uh, a decoy company I, that I still actually work with, Higdon Higdon Outdoors, Higdon Decoys, uh, Tim Grounds Calls, uh, Duck Commander Products. Um, they were. 
uh, way before the Duck Dynasty days. You know, they were um, almost like family to us. They entrusted us, and we would set up for shows for the, for them, uh, the Robertson family, and everything. Uh, but those were kind of the main ones that got started, uh, where they would send us some products, and and you know, some of them we were just on consignment, you know, and they entrusted us. They knew of our family, and they were just, you know, at, at the time we were kind of strangers. We had some different, you know, common acquaintances, but they put a lot of trust in us. And but, I mean, we've never forgotten that. Well, I was going to ask you, um, what, how, how did they get their own show and you didn't? Was well, it, did you not have a beard? Is no, that, no. Do you need a beard to that, do that? No, that, it's it's funny because, um, you know, knowing them well and when you first saw the, when I first watched the pilot of Duck Dynasty, of course, it, we, were, we knew this was going for two years, you know, and, and I could see all this play out. But when I first saw it air, it was such a, such a feel-good moment for a great family mm-hmm. that I knew where their heart was, yeah. you know, and to see that and, and you talk about people that are just really true and I thought man this is this is good and 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 they've been times you know when they've spoken in town that always said our lodge and this and that and we've got some really good stories and jokes so to see that family get to where they are today it's just it's a great success story and do they still come they come do we we you know we we stay in contact and I was actually one of our our marketing managers was down there and hunting with them this year okay, and a great. couple guys and and uh and and I was down there last year as well and and we all went out to dinner so they're just a great family so, so you so you guys are uh, definitely an attractor for the hunting crowd. What what do you find when people come here from out of town who are on their way to maybe Real Foot Lake to go duck hunting? Or what what is the thing you guys sell the most of? What is your number one seller? You know, we do a lot of apparel, um, and, and we do a lot of obviously hunting apparel, but we do a lot of just outdoor lifestyle apparel. You know, your brands like Columbia and Under Armour and Patagonia and those things that don't necessarily have to be a hunter. Uh, to appeal to. So, uh, and a lot of those neutral colors, those real tonal style colors and outdoor colors are, are really good. And those companies are, are big for us, but we do a lot with, uh, from a decoy side, we do a lot with Higdon, obviously. We do a lot with, with Bandit and Drake. Um, so there's a lot of good companies, you know, that we do. But apparel would probably say number one, just because it appeals to a large demographic. So, so now let's rewind and go back to the beginning. Um, tell me about how you grew up, where you grew up, and what how, how you ended. When did you pick up your first duck call? Oh, man, that was uh, you know I guess when I was just big enough to to walk and and drive my parents crazy and my brothers crazy. But uh, uh, like I said, being from an ag ag community and and you know from a farming household. And, and we had farm ground that we hunted on in the fall and winter months. You know, growing up not hunting in, in my household and in, in my community kind of was, kind of was, it was almost like a sin. You know, if you didn't go duck hunting every single day, it was like, what'd you miss? What was wrong? Why'd you, why'd you sleep in? What, you know, and you felt bad about it. So I grew up in that, in that household, uh, especially my older brothers. You know, they, they were the ones that got me going and got me hunting. And, and, uh, and we even, you know, in a 60 day duck season when I was, before I could even drive, you know, I was I was riding with my brother to the duck blind, you know, and then having to get a get a ride to school at seven forty five eight o'clock. And then when I started driving, it was I could do it more frequently because I had my own car. But I mean, we were we were duck hunting every single day in a sixty day duck season. You didn't miss a day. I mean, it was like you you know you you got to go duck hunting even Starting when there is school. What age? Oh, that was probably when I every day was probably when I was fourteen, fifteen years old, wow. yeah. and then you know, and then it's just you know, it's just a way of life for us. We didn't know any different. And then when you get older, you get a little more responsibilities. You get jobs and this and that. You know, there's there's kind of times that you have to, uh, you know, you obviously have to, that takes priority, especially with kids and stuff like that. But um, you didn't know any different, and uh, so we, um, I would start started that, and, and when I was in high school, I was actually a junior in high school, and, and I. I 
start wanted to get into contest calling. But I remember when I was a senior in high school, my parents were watching the ten o'clock news, um, and we were all I was supposed to be in bed. We're all you know going to bed. And I remember talking to them and telling them, well, you know, if if crazy idea, if I could win a goose call, this goose calling contest, if I could become good at in these contests, you know, let's just say I won the world. If that would stamp my resume to where I was recognizable in the outdoor industry, well, maybe that would allow me to be a leg up on other people looking for employment opportunities in the, in the hunting industry. So if I go to a, an Avery Outdoors or a Higdon Outdoor or whatever, those companies and knock on their door, maybe they'll, if they already know of my name because I, I won a world title or won this, you know, as crazy of an idea as that sounds, that was the kind of the path that I went down. Mm-hmm. And that was in 98 or 97. I went to the world in 98, uh, first year. And, and I mean, I come in probably the bottom five. It was horrible, you know. And So for somebody for somebody like me who has never, I've never called a goose, yeah. you know, what, what talk me through just a little bit of the process or what, okay. do, what do you so, use? So, I mean, you're using an instrument. And in, and in layman's terms, and it, a duck or goose call is no different than a musical instrument. Um, the, where it lacks is from a, a scripted standpoint and sheet music standpoint, where in music terms, and, and I was fortunate to go through Union City High School and I was in the band and I was huge in percussion. Like I had a an awesome, awesome mentors and teachers that taught me a lot about percussion and 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 so that's what I and I was really gonna go to college in, in percussion and looked at different things and then the hunting pool pulled me in the, a different direction. Um, but with that musical background and what you know, music has a standard. There's a standardization of writing notes to sheet music and stuff like that where calling doesn't. You know, it just hasn't evolved that much. But I wanted to evolve it to that route. So um, me putting a routine together, I would try to write sheet music for a goose calling routine, as crazy as that sounded, uh, just to have a standard where I can have some consistency built up. Um, so when you're doing a goose calling routine, I mean, it's like you're kind of out in the wild, but you simulate a scenario. Like if you see a flock of geese at a distance, you bring them in if they like they're going away there's certain comeback calls and the last so and the last thing is if they were landing in your decoys um, and all that's within a minute and a half standpoint uh, so within that framework there's a lot of, of psychological aspects that that I've did myself and, and and there's a lot of people that I've helped coach and stuff even today that there's a lot of things that you can do and all that to to prepare yourself to where the judges that are judging you are are there's there's five judges um, they take a cumulative score they they throw out the high and throw out the low so they take the middle three average um, each judge they cannot talk to each other they're behind a curtain they don't know who's calling so it's they're only going off the element of sound so with that said when they do that there's there's different things that I learned because of that musical background uh, that applied it to to from a calling routine it's no different than a good song a good song becomes a hit because it has a good chorus and it flows well same thing in a routine format when a judge is only going off the element of sound only it needs to have a good course. It needs to have a good flow. So there's certain things in there to do that I applied from a musical background to that, and and kind of kind of I guess was successful with it. And we're still doing pretty decent today. So you walk in, you're you know 14, 15, 16 years old, and you're competing. Are you competing against? Oh yeah. People who've been doing it for fifty Correct. years, or and what 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 were the, were there. Were there were there attitudes from these? There people? were there. I, I've had some. I've had some interesting. Um, and and I I I'm kind of person that I've just try to be and I teach my kids just to be extremely humble to everybody you know and respect and and interesting. I had a judge one time. There was a particular note I was doing on a goose call and, it, and they call they call it a spit note. It's just a real short cluck and it, and it's it is unbelievably goosey and this and that. And I had a judge in in Great Bend, Kansas, and his exact quote was after the contest. And I ended up winning the contest, but he scored me horrible on this one note. 
and, and his exact quote was, well, son, in 30 years of goose hunting, I never heard a goose do that. Of course, the son part were me, and I was 18 years old. I kind of hit me the wrong way. And he was a very nice, respectful man. So I just said, sir, and, and for the betterment of the sport, I would like to send you some live audio uh, of this, and he's like, absolutely, and he was very receptive. So I went home and pulled up some. Oh, this is back in cassette date, cassette yeah. tape days. Yeah. So I pulled some cassette tapes up and sent him some, and he he sent me a letter back thanking, and and we have a great had a great relationship. But those are some little bit of you know, well, who's this young guy? You know, this and that, and and I get it. I mean, I I get that, but I wanted to prove myself and let the results speak for itself rather than be trying to convince people otherwise. So. And then you started winning more and more frequently, obviously. And this is no different than any other subculture of people who are passionate right. about, you know. So you essentially became, you know, a superstar in this arena. Um, what what, what did, did it cause you any kind of uh, challenges as a young man uh, trying, to, trying to grow up to suddenly be so successful and at the height of something like this? You know, yes and no. I mean, it was a, it, there were some, um, I don't want to say stigmas, people would just because of what you won would put you up on a little bit of a pedestal that, in my opinion, is undeserving. You know, uh, granted, those titles will go to me, go with me to my grave, but for the most part, I tell the guys, you know, that great long intro and introduction is great, but I'm just a country boy from West Tennessee and, you know, son to a, a my mother was a librarian, my father was a farmer, and I'm no different than anybody else. And that's kind of the way I prefer it to be. And, and uh, but with that said, you know, extremely humble. Um, with the guys that are calling in contests now that I help and do all that, they're they're the same way and they're doing the right things and 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 it's just a great you know great environment to be around. So do, do you you do not compete anymore? I don't. Okay. I don't. I kind of live my contest days vicariously through a couple other individuals. Okay. And uh, one one particular guy works for our call company, and uh, he was two years ago. I said you're going to win the world, you know, and and he was probably a top. Top six, seven, eight caller, and and the first year he went back, you know, he come in second, and then this past year he won. So to me, that was a, a great feel good moment, and and give him listen all the credit because when you have a person that's this is what I told him, I said, you're extremely Kyle Jones is his name. I said you're extremely talented, but if we put mine and your head together, we're going to be better than any of us if we were just alone. Just because of what I say doesn't mean it's right. But there's a pretty good prescription that we've developed through the guys that, that, that when we've won you know, world titles and done this and that. So if you can take 20% of what I say and then you take the rest of what you implement and what you know, you're going to become unstoppable. And, wow. and it's just kind of like a, like a Bill Belichick-Tom Brady combination. You know? And, and it, it creates an organization. And the funny thing is, is Kyle is doing this. for There's another kid. We, our, our call company won the junior world title as well. And there's another kid, Luke White from Paducah, Kentucky, that Kyle is that mentor for, for him. Mm-hmm. Just teaching the same things, the same areas, how to act. And, and it's just a great to sit back on the sidelines and watch all this play out. And they're great, humble men that are doing good things in, in the outdoor industry. So, now, now uh, I'm going to go to some of these. You're, yeah. you're, ta- you're talking to me into being an audience. Where, where do these take place? Well, the world is in Easton, Maryland. Um, it's, it's along with the Waterfowl Festival, and it's a huge nonprofit festival that they do. And the, the thing about the Waterfowl Festival in Easton, it's, it's a real, it's a big art festival. So it's very classy. I mean, the, the downtown, uh, downtown streets of Easton are shut down. There's, 
the brick streets and the little bitty t- uh, shops and the art shops and it's a very classy event and you know and they have these calling contests so that's kind of where they host but I always tell people I said you know it's and even when my wife when we met and started dating I said I said pardon the term but it's it's kind of like a little redneck sport you know I mean we're blowing a, a bird whistle in a sense I said but for me I want to become a better hunter I want to become a better caller uh, and I, I wanted to go that route just to open up doors in the outdoor industry. And since then, it, 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 it's helped that. It's helped us with Final Flight, you know, to help get going there. Um, and then as well as my career with the other stuff that I do with Hignan and our call company. So once you, once you, once you originally started getting all the, winning all these prizes, it wasn't long, I'm assuming, before the national brands came to, to That's correct. sponsors. That's correct. And, and, you know, just because you, just because you, you know, if you win a title, doesn't mean the door's going to come beat down. That's just not the case. You got to work. You got to roll your sleeves up and work. And I was fortunate to where I had, I had some really good people around me that were in the industry that that I relied on, that were kind of mentors of mine, that helped me along the way. And and it did. It opened up some doors. I did some uh, endorsement stuff with Avery Outdoors. I designed a, a layout blind for them. Helped design a layout blind for them that was highly successful in the market. And fortunately for them, they were getting in the in the goose hunting market, making goose hunting products. Uh, and I was the 21 year old that we wanted to appeal to the the you know the 18 to 26 27 year old demographic of that guy that is very aggressive style hunting that's not afraid to lay out there on the ground and these particular layout blinds so I become the face of that movement in a sense because I just won the world title and I was a fairly young and doing all this stuff so I was in it at the right time to where there was a lot of big sponsors involved and and it really helped um, so that's kind of how how it goes but you still got to roll your sleeves up and, and get to work yeah know? oh i bet no you you'd be a great representative of any brand well. even even discovery park of america <laughs> speaking of which i will you actually we actually when you walk in you walk into the lobby to the left before you experience the whole um rest of discovery park of america you're there your picture uh. and a a goose call there and a little bit about it do you remember i that? did I do. It, you know, that when Discovery, I mean, goodness, it goes, this goes way back in the planning uh, stages, um, you know, with the Kirkland family and, and every, I mean, goodness, you talk about a community success story, the committees and committees and committees that helped bring in artifacts and bring in the displays and stuff like that was incredible. Um, and and I, I just kind of mentioned, I said, hey, if, I mean, I've got a, the call I'm on the world with is just sitting on a shelf collecting dust. I mean, if it's interest of local interest, then you know, absolutely. Put it on display there. It doesn't matter to me. And 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 some people said, yeah, that would actually be a great because you're a local from from Union City, and we'll put it on display. And so that is the exact call that I used in my whole career uh, to call with. You know, and uh, so there's a lot of stories that go with that. There's a lot of miles and a lot of locations that it went to. And and back then, goodness, I never would let it part. From me, I mean, I always told back when I was in college, I told the roommate, "Hey, if the house catches on fire, you grab this and let everything else burn." You know, <laughs> it was just because there were some there were some times that you know, with, the more you use a particular call, that there's a, a piece of plastic and a reed that wears in a channel that you only get just the way it wears a certain way, uh-huh. and uh, so it worn in these little groove marks that you couldn't duplicate, and that was what was special for that. That you just you know, if it 
if something happened to it, there's no way to duplicate it. Yeah, so. well, the, ni- the nice thing about Discovery Park of America is that the mission is to inspire children and adults to see beyond. So, you know, just like this podcast, a lot of people will will look at it and then move on. To hear the story behind it is fascinating to it me, is. and to know all of the all of the life and experiences that were behind that one little that one little thing that's sitting behind a piece of glass is fascinating. It is, and 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 Discovery Park for us and and our. I mean, granted, I'm, I'm spoiled because I'm from Union City and, and I lived here my whole life. But as a business with Final Flight, we look at a more successful Discovery Park means a more successful Final Flight. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and both of our customers go hand in hand. So what we try to do, even our back cover, we have a partner on the back cover of our catalog. You know, it's, it's Discovery Park's location. And that goes out to 100,000 mailboxes every fall. You know, we go to shows and it's there. So we like to promote like I said, the more successful DPA, uh, the better. And, and what we found is advertising that you have a lot of outdoorsmen that want to come to Final Flight and they go with our catalog to the family and said, Hey, you want to go to Discovery Park and all that? And, you know, and they're great. So they do both and they so turn it into a weekend. That's where people in camouflage come from. That's right. That I see <laughs> that's right. Here, and they yeah. turn it into a weekend yeah. and a weekend getaway. And, and, and it's our business is no different with a lot of the lodges and outfitters, you know, around Real Foot Lake and, and Tennessee River and stuff. You know, people come in to hunt, you know, they make it a destination for the whole family. Mm-hmm. If the wife or children don't want to go hunting with, with the husband, they come to Discovery Park, uh, they go to the local shops. So it's a great, we're, we're tickled to death to have it in our community. Well, that's a, it's a great lead into my, what I was also curious about, which is running a big business. You guys really are a big business running that in a rural community. Um, it, what are its challenges, and what are the good things around? That? Well, the the and that's a good point. So for us, the, there are there's some obvious challenges from a traffic count. You know, there's some hard numbers that you can say. Well, on you know Highway 431, is, which is where we're located, you know, there's a, only a certain amount of traffic count that goes by. So if if we're in a room and we're talking about building a new store, you're going to look for a high traffic count. You're going to you know that's just kind of common sense. For us. It's a little different in the outdoor industry. You know, a lot of your big destination stops, um, they kind of like to get outside of a city limits and become a destination themselves. Um, we've looked into a lot of different things, and even when we started of moving different locations. But for us, you know, for example, we sell firearms, and we have a firearm, we have a gunsmithing shop. And it's a little bit, and I thought about this too, it, there's some nostalgia that goes with it of being in a, out in the country community. If someone needs a, a shotgun worked on that their hunting gun broke and they get out of the car with that that's in a gun case, I have a feeling if they're getting out of their car and they're walking in, there's a, there's, you know, if, if it's more of a residential area or a city area, they may feel a little weird, you know, that. So being out in the country a little better, it seems like the customers are a little more comfortable going into a gunsmith shop and getting that worked on versus being in a in an urban environment. You know, if there's a gas station across here. So I felt like our customer base, really, they like to go to those destination areas. Um, and just be honest, a lot of our customers, too, from hunting standpoint, they're used to driving, you know. And we're not far, but if you look at the, the kind of even used to be the, the Cabela's model, and, and, and they're obviously highly successful, but they would always locate outside of an area and have a lot of property around them, and they would kind of, it would build up from there. But they would go out and have the customers come to them versus being in that downtown, you know, um, highly high, high traffic area. So that's the kind of the route that we went. And we're kind of, you know, built in a cornfield, and and it was an old convenience store that my grandparents had, and we just kind of by default started there, and then we looked at moving into other locations, and it just kind of, 
kind of fell back on we don't you know we don't want to leave our customer base you know that likes to come out in the community and, and this and that and and granted if you go to a city you're no matter which direction you go north south east or west you're moving further away from some customer mm-hmm. so for us i've already been cemented there it's like well let's just go all all in and and just keep going where we're at so mm-hmm. and, and you you can't build the kind of um, authenticity that you guys have have there i mean it's a really special place that's um, true. What's next? What What's on the you – know, any news you want to break here? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I would love to have – no, uh, nothing. Um, we're, we're keeping on, keeping on. Everything has been has been wonderful. We, we have switched over from a behind-the-scenes standpoint to a new software that we're – from a point of sale that it all integrates. So um, – and then we actually launched a new website here last fall. Um, so what that does is I encourage our local customers, you know, when you're at work, um, and if you're you're wanting a particular jacket or a particular flashlight or whatever it is, go to Final Flight. Go to the website. Pull it up real quick. You pull up your fart smartphone. Uh, if it shows up on that website, it is in stock and inventory on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you need to save time, if you're in Nashville and you're coming to Roofit Lake to hunt, you know, go to Final Flight. Check out, buy online, select in-store pickup for free freight. You don't have any freight. And then uh, when you drive through, we'll have it waiting on you. And you just load you out, and then you're on your way. So those kind of things that with our new software allow us to do, and we can get really creative with doing store promotions and really track a lot with better reporting and stuff like that. So it allows us to do a lot of stuff that the customer won't see. But from the behind the scenes, we can really grow and offer more and be more of a convenience for them. Um, and then just from a living in a rural community, I know you have a family, you know, you probably advocate, you know, your, your both your extended family and your closer, everybody, a, a rural lifestyle, it probably contributes greatly to your life. It, it does. It does. And, and Faith Family Outdoors, you know, Final Flight Outfitters. And I, I kind of use that acronym and I had to do a speech a couple, about a year or so ago. And I kind of threw that out there and I said, man, where did that come from? I said, well, I've been thinking about it for a while, but it really accurately describes our employees. You know, we're, we're strong in faith. We're strong in family. We're strong in the outdoors. And, and FFO is Final Flight Outfitters. I said, that's kind of what uh, I feel like that what stands for for us. And we heavily rely on the University of Tennessee at Martin um, uh, from, a, from a, not only from a customer standpoint, but from an employee standpoint. Uh, literally, literally uh, men and women, when they enroll for fall semester, they will enroll in classes and come put a job application in. And the experience that we get from them, it, it is, it's unbelievable, you know, and great worth it, great employees. Um, and a lot of these men and women are, are very knowledgeable in the products and they help they're, they're on top of current trends and on top of that. So what we do is we kind of, uh, we kind of throw them out there and let them succeed. Let them teach us, and we'll take them to buying group shows. We'll take them, you know, as much as they want to do. And I always tell them, if you can stick with us for four years, and if we can afford to keep you at the end of that, you know, we, we want to keep you on board. Uh, if you want to go somewhere else in the industry, then I'm your number one fan. I'll make phone calls. I'll send email. Whatever we got to do. Um, and we've had, I mean, there's been a, a long list of people that have gone on that are outdoor reps that are doing stuff with insurance, whatever whatever field they want to get into. But without their help, goodness, we there's no way we could be where we're at today. That's all. You're going. So, you went from goose calls to changing the world. Well, honestly, well, you really we just, are. We're a we're a family, and you know, like I said, that faith family outdoors, and and that family, even though they may not be employed by us today, they're a strong family. You know, even now, and and they know that. So we try to stay in contact with them too. Excellent. Well. Thank you for joining us. This has been amazing. You can shop with Final Flight Outfitters at their retail store here in Union City on your way to Discovery Park, or That's you right. can shop online at finalflight.net for all of your camouflage and other needs. That's it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
coming up. The infamous Andrew Gibson is going to sneak us backstage at Discovery Park of America, where we are going to learn something brand new. All right. Thanks, Scott. Today on the little nugget of information we've got on the Real Foot Forward podcast, I've got a docent here from Discovery Park of America in the booth with us. It is Nate, and I don't even know your last name, Nate. What's, what? Introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm Nate Newland. I'm a docent here at Discovery Park. I've been here for just a few months. I uh, graduated last year with a degree in geology. My passion is in fossils, which is what we're going to talk about today, pretty much. And I do love some fossils. Now, what's the official title of this? Uh, the Paleontological Heritage of West Tennessee. What he said. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's that. not going to repeat that. Just paleontology I, with ickle on the end. So. Oh, okay. The, yeah, yeah, I'm not even going to try it. I will <laughs> butcher it, and then I'll be made fun of. We're not even going to go there. So what is that? So like you, I grew up in West Tennessee, and as a child, I, when I thought of fossils, I thought of dinosaurs like any child would. But there's actually so much more to our planet's history than that. And especially in West Tennessee, uh, where we didn't have things like that, there is a tremendous amount of heritage, a tremendous amount of material that no one knows about, just because it's never talked about, it's overlooked in favor of things like dinosaurs. Uh, One thing that's pretty important to us in West Tennessee is the Coon Creek Formation, which is actually a world-famous fossil site, but did you hear about that growing up around no, here? I no, I definitely didn't hear about Coon Creek growing up. And where where is Coon Creek, actually? Uh, it's uh, The formation stretches f- along the Tennessee River from about Parsons south to the, around the Mississippi border. But uh, specifically, the Coon Creek Science Center, which is m- where most of the fossils come from, is around Adamsville. So about halfway between Enville and Adamsville, Tennessee. Have you personally been there? Many, many times. Many times. Uh, and what, do you, what do you do while you're there. Can you go into detail about that? Yeah, so Coon Creek uh, is pretty unique in a lot of ways. And in one sense, in one of those senses, it's because the uh, matrix, which is the rock around it, is so soft that you can just brush it away with your bare hands pretty much, or with a light brush. Whereas, you know, most time rock is pretty hard and you have to kind of chisel it away. So that makes it an amateur's paradise because you can go out there, school groups go out there and they, uh, can take home fossils that are pretty important to our area. And uh, so what kind of fossils are we finding here? Are we, are we finding uh, like sea life or, you know? Yes. Uh, yeah. So most of it is shallow marine. So stuff you would find in kind of like a coral reef setting today. Uh, most of these fossils are invertebrates, which means animals that didn't have backbones. So like uh, mostly clams, snails, what organisms that resemble what we would call a squid today, uh, these things called scaphopods, oysters, scallops, but there are a few vertebrates like uh, plesiosaurs and mosasaurs, which are on display here at uh, DPA. So you'd find like mosasaurs there. What was the other one you said? Plesiosaurs. And do we have that on display here at Discovery Park? And uh, can you describe that one to me? What does that one look like? So the plesiosaur, it looks like a long-necked dinosaur, but with uh, fins instead of legs. Okay, cool. (laughs) So the thing out there that's fighting with the mosasaur. Okay, all right, I got that. Um, So just uh, tell me more about, uh, I guess, how these fossils developed here in West Tennessee. I mean, you know, we're we're talking... um, sea animals, or I guess essentially mm-hmm. sea creatures. Um, 
how did they get to West Tennessee or, um, you know, so around the time that the Coon Creek Formation was being deposited, the coastline was actually up around Nashville. The sea level was much higher. It kind of gives us an idea of what could happen in the future. But anyway, um, so this was just offshore, maybe 10, 20, 30 miles offshore. And so still fairly shallow and shallow enough where when storms came in, they could kick up sediment and basically deposit it in one big bank. And when it did that, that's perfect mode for preservation for fossils. And Coon Creek, especially around Coon Creek Science Center, is one of the best examples in the world of that kind of scenario. Uh, Coon Creek is actually what we would call a Lagerstätte, which is... I'm sorry? A Lagerstätte. It's <laughs> yeah, a ge- you're going to have to quit with these, with these big <laughs> words, mate. But it basically means there's just so much there that it's just like pouring out of the walls of the creek. Uh, and even specific, even more specifically, it's a Lagerstätte Konservaten, which there are only a few of those in the world. It basically means like the mother load of fossils. There's just so much there, and it's so important. And that's nestled there, here in West Tennessee, correct? Yes. Well, that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, I wish growing up, you know, I would have known of these, mm-hmm. um, you know, instances where where I could go out and in you know situations where I could go look for fossils myself. Um, that being said. With it being such a big deal, is it just school kids going and take advantage of this, or are there um, colleges that go out, or um, are there actual archaeologists that go and spend a lot of time there, or has that kind of been the big stuff kind of been picked through, and what's left is kind of the the you know not so important things? I, I hate saying that because yeah. it's still important, but um, you know, has the Mosasaurus kind of moseyed on along? <laughs> well. Uh, to answer that last question, not at all. It's a pretty limitless amount of material. Uh, the amount that has actually been gone through is minuscule compared to what is actually there. Uh, I'd have no doubt that as you walk across the property there near the creek, you're walking across mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, who knows what else. Um, what was your other question before that? Are there any, uh, like, is it just school kids taking advantage of uh, this or are there universities and colleges or, uh, you know, big archaeologists that go out? Until recently, the Science Center itself was owned by the Coon Creek family of museums. And they have what they call members days where the members of the museum would go and basically have a dig once or twice a year. Uh, I worked at those events, which is how I know about those, um, as well as school groups, basically. And Dr. Gibson at UT Martin would take groups almost every weekend for his classes. Well, that's that's really fascinating. Um, Nate, I think at a, at a later episode, maybe we can talk about um, what exactly you did while you were there. Like, what's the procedure of being mm-hmm. an archaeologist and kind of paleontologist? Uh, paleontologist, <laughs> thank you. Uh, sorry that, that, about that. There's another episode too. That is another episode. <laughs> yes, we can go in the difference in the details there. Um, so, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, this is Andrew Gibson, and we appreciate you listening to the Real Foot Forward podcast. Thank you for listening to Real Foot Forward. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may be listening. Plan your own adventure to see beyond at Discovery Park of America by visiting discoveryparkofamerica.com. Be sure to also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates.